Thank you, Amy Beth. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you here as we continue the I Am Enough series, the I Am Statements of Christ, uh, meaning to challenge us and encourage us in our walk. This morning, as you just heard, we're going to be talking about John 10. I am the good shepherd. Creatively entitled this morning, I am the good shepherd. Are you ready for this? Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for your great word. And we pray, Lord, that you would open us up and encourage us, challenge us, uh, may we encounter you in the scriptures this morning. We want to follow, Lord, in a life where it can often feel difficult and lonely in doing so. We want to follow. Encourage us this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, some years ago, we were living in Los Angeles in the PK era, pre-kids. Uh, I was a high school English teacher with a spring break, and Heather was a grad student and working on an internship, and we got this wonderful special to fly for a week to Ireland. Incredible. Uh, flights, rental car, and lodging and B&B sprinkled throughout Ireland, and it was wonderful. We got this rental car, and just driving, I was in heaven, I love to drive, driving through Ireland, and driving around the west coast of Ireland, it's just, it's amazing, and, and oftentimes, this was, you would really happen, you'd be, you know, cruising around Ireland, and then, you know, and all of a sudden, sheep everywhere on the field, because there's sheep everywhere in Western Ireland. It's just true. And you have to kind of sit there and let them pass. Sometimes they had a shepherd. Sometimes they were just being moved from pasture to pasture. And oftentimes there was one little lamb that you just wanted to pick up and just give it a squeeze. It's like, you know, it's like a puffball. Man, I just want to get my arms around that. And, you know, oftentimes I, I, I even tried. I got out of the car, tried to like chase the little lamb. But here's the thing. If the sheep don't know you, you are not getting close to it. It's just impossible. And so I'd, you know, try to chase little sheep to, to no avail. And then we would get to these B&Bs. We'd pick out a book and we'd pull in. And many times we'd be talking to the, P and, the B and B, you know, owner or operator. And I'd say, oh, you know, your sheep, many of them have sheep. Like, oh, yeah, come with me. And if the sheep know you, access is undeniable. Like if the sheep know, oh, he's, you know, he's with the owner of the place. He's the guy that feeds me. You can walk right out. The owner can just grab the little puffball, and boom, you're holding a lamb. <laughs> you have to know and be known in order to have that kind of experience of like, oh, I want to I I hold the lamb. I want to hold the sheep. Well, as we segue into the scriptures this morning, over and over and over again, the scriptures uh, communicate that, that we are sheep. And that God longs to be, in this case, the shepherd. Uh, Isaiah 53, we are all like sheep. We have gone astray. We are the sheep. And if you think about sheep, there is this ethos of vulnerability. Think about it. A sheep have no fangs. They have no claws. They have, they have no speed to avoid a predator. And, and have you ever tasted sheep? They're delicious, right? Who's eating lamb? Like, yeah, everybody knows. So, like, their whole, their whole strength is in both their shepherd and their ability to find strength with one another. The, the thing that gives strength their strength, or sheep their strength, rather, is their vulnerability and their ability to know that they need each other. Oftentimes, in the Christian faith, there's this paradox that the faith that we long to grow in requires not more of our strength, but more of our vulnerability. And so it's in knowing our vulnerability, it's in knowing that the Christ longs to speak to us in the each and the every day, it's in knowing this that we can grow. And this is our big idea this morning, that when we see ourselves as vulnerable, we tend to lay ourselves in the good shepherd's care by following him into the adventure that awaits with our life. 
If we know we're vulnerable, we know we need to follow someone. And when we're aware of our vulnerabilities in the places where we're not there yet, we have this propensity to want to gather together with God's people in a powerful way and follow the good shepherd. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's begin with a little bit of a scene study. As we look at John 10, verses 11 through 18, this is in many ways a follow-up to what Pastor Ruth talked about last week, that Jesus is the gate, the beginning of John 10. Jesus talks about the gate and how we're formed when we go in and out. I was raised in a context that gate, oh, yeah, to keep people out. But actually, Jesus is laying there in order to form his people. And then he, he, he transitions in verse 11 and says, I am the good shepherd. And there's three characters here in this kind of character study of, of what's happening on the ranch. Let's begin with the first character that we encounter in the scriptures in verse 11 and 12 of John 10. Hopefully you brought your Bibles with us. Uh, we'll have it behind us too. But we have the wolf. Every good story needs a villain, right? So we, we have the wolf. Look at verse 11 and 12 in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, says Christ. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We'll be back for that. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Now, super interesting here. A couple of things to notice about the wolf. Now, the word wolf is actually in Greek. It's lykos. It's a wolf-like character. It's the same word that Matthew used uh, in Matthew 10, 16, that we as Christians are sheep being sent out among wolves. Plural in Matthew. Here in John, it's singular. John promises that the wolf will come. When the wolf comes, I, I find it fascinating as I'm studying scripture this week, that it's not an if-then. It's, it's just a when. Like we will, we will face persecution. We will face trial. We will face challenges. And so when the wolf attacks, then, says Jesus, he longs to scatter us. Now notice that the wolf here is described as not coming to devour. That is labeled in other parts of scripture. Here, what Jesus warns again, against is the wolf's tendency to distract us and to scatter us. Because when we're distracted and when we're, when we're scattered, then, then we don't have each other. When we, when we are alone, we're more apt to fall into the prey that the wolf longs to set for us. And so when the wolf comes, Jesus says, the wolf's desire is to scatter his flock. And so Jesus warns against that. The part of, of the Christian process, though we hear everything oftentimes in our modern context as individually, Jesus says there's a we, there's an ecosystem on the ranch. And just like with sheep, they literally find safety in numbers. We're not too much different. We need each other. Uh, years ago, when, when Jesus spoke into my life, he said, Scott, come and build the church. Come and help make church feel relevant again. It's incredibly challenging because we can podcast messages. We can stream worship music. We can, we can occupy ourselves with other things. Do we really need Christian community? Isn't it like if I just have a friend that's a Christ follower? I mean, do I really need the church? Do I really need Christian community? Here says Jesus, the wolf longs to leave us scattered. And so oftentimes, that we forget that we need each other, the danger is scattering. And we become isolated. And oftentimes, isolation is a pride, really, a symptom, rather, of our pride. 
that when we find ourselves incredibly isolated, it's because sometimes we're proud. And we you know, want to do it our own way. We don't need accountability. We don't need to show up to the morning Bible study. We don't need to, definitely don't need to go to you know, some place where people are going to be doing formation together. We just, we'll, be, we'll be our lone wolf. You heard that term? I'm just lone wolf in it. Well, the wolf's desire is to scatter, but Jesus longs to bring us safety in how we flock together, how we gather together. That's so why it's like, hey, join us. Men's retreat, we're going to Malibu, spending days together. Join us. Women, going, you know, up to Leavenworth. They've done it for dozens of years. Join us. As a church, camping trip in June. Are you kidding? Whose idea was this? I was part of that decision. But join us, because as we gather together, there's safety and there's growth, and there's provision. I love to see, as the pastor, I love to see you gathering together. Hashtag it. Gather together. We're better together. We were studying this week, and Richard told a story of being in Europe where he goes to teach often, and, and literally there's sheep on the hills, and and one of the shepherds says, you know, there's a missing sheep. I got to go out for it. And so they're like, wow, this is like a living Bible story. Let's go with him. You know, the shepherd goes after the, after the lost sheep, a la Luke 15. And they go. And, and Rich is asking, like, well, tell me the story. What happened? He said, well, the sheep saw the goats on the hill. And the sheep left the flock trying to follow the goats, trying to be. Last time we, somebody saw it, the sheep was on the hillside trying to be a goat. <laughs> Other than the fact that it left where it was known and provided for and cared for and counted, and it died. That's where they found it. Because a sheep doesn't have the same hooves as a goat. Now I'm obviously talking out of school, but they, Richard Shepherd, some of the people that came, they found it. It had fallen a couple hundred yards, dead. We actually need each other. We need other Christians. We need to be formed in community. And, and the wolf's desire is to leave us scattered. The wolf is have a, having a heyday in this day and age at scattering the flock. You know, what, was, is, that, is that a progressive church or is it a Bible-believing church? Are they open and affirming church or are they a conservative church? And we, we're just, we're splitting up. We're just splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting and, and churches become ecosystem of, of the same doctrine and the same thought. I love the diversity that Bethany has had for 100 years and its centrality that what unifies us is not even our theology, though that's important. What unifies us is Christ, the good shepherd, the one place that can keep us unified in the midst of all that we face. And the wolf comes, distracts, scatters, you get the point. Let's transition to the next character. It's the hired hand. The, the hired hand as the bad shepherd because we need an owner, and Jesus says there's this hired hand character here in verse 13. Look at John 10, verse 13. So the hired hand, pick it up in 12, hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, again, it's a when, not an if, he abandons the sheep and runs away, and then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, verse 13. The man, this hired hand, he runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The hired hand hasn't necessarily done anything wrong like the wolf, but doesn't go the extra mile. In ancient Palestine, shepherds were known to stand up for their flock, but never lay their lives on the line, never put their own life at risk. And Jesus says, when I come, it's not like the other guys, not like the hired hands. 
Now, this is where the text gets really interesting because though we hear shepherds and we're kind of thinking Christmas, Christmas carols, shepherds, they see the star, we know that story. Actually, in the scriptures, shepherds are taught over and over again as a synonym for leadership and for people that are charged with stewarding others. Everyone in this room is a leader. You're all leaders this morning. Single, married, young, old, you're a leader. People already follow you. People already notice what you do, what you like, who you voted for or didn't, what you post. You lead others by the life you live. And there's this convicting word in the book of Ezekiel about shepherds not actually doing the work of leading others well. This comes from Ezekiel 34, the prophecy through the prophet Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me, says Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord says, woe to you shepherds who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curd, you close yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak and healed the sick and bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. Verse 5 of Ezekiel 34, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, it became food for all the wild animals. I love that. I love that uh, similarity between the scriptures, the warning of being scattered and the call to shepherd. The hired hand in this text didn't really take the, the gift of leadership uh, and own it. They were just kind of managing. They were just kind of showing up and doing a job. They were passive. They were hired hands. I have this question for you as you think about your spiritual life. You think about your life of following Jesus. Who owns you? Or what owns you? Because what feeds you, friends, will lead you. What feeds you will lead you. And so everything that we feed upon becomes a shepherd to us. And so if we're feeding for intimacy in unhealthy places, we begin to be governed by unhealthy desires. What feeds us leads us. Conversely, when we're trying to end places of vulnerability and brokenness, feeding on Christ, we have more apt to follow the good shepherd. Because when we're hungry, we need to go to the proper source where we can get fed and led. What feeds us leads us. And this hired hand character here is not willing to, to really go the extra mile for the people he's called to steward and the sheep he's meant to care for. Now, this is a hard one this morning as you really dig into the scriptures and think about your life because some of you this morning, I want you to stay with me. Some of you, as you think about your own faith life, some of you have been the hired hand. Some of you face stuff in your life and, and you ran. Some of you had issues that you need to deal with and you just, you took off. Or there was relationships that were kind of going astray and you just, you needed space and you, you, you'd gone. Some of you have, have failed to lead the children in your home in a godly way. Some of you have held grudges towards one another. If you're feeling that this morning, the good news is God redeems those things. But you need to confess and you need to be strengthened. So there's been places where I needed to show up and instead I ran. Will you forgive me? Because the good shepherd can redeem those hired hand moments. And others of you are like, no, no, no. But this resonates on a whole different level. Because we've been the sheep in this scenario. 
where the hired hands ran off on us. Maybe it's your dad or your mom, and they didn't show up the way you need them to. Maybe they just literally ran off when you were growing up. Maybe it was a, a spouse who, who left an affair or emotionally left you. Maybe it's a pastor that abandoned you, that you expected a church to provide for you in a certain way and it didn't happen. Maybe it's people that you loved or are loving still that are in the process of leaving from sickness or divorce. Very uh, powerful moment uh, between services where we prayed for a woman whose husband is sick. Because friends, here's the thing. Everyone will leave you. That's a super dark thing to say, right? No, no, I mean, just stay with me. Every human in your life will leave you. The kids will grow up and leave home. And if you're married, at someday you will not be married anymore. They may pass before you or you may pass first. Everyone you love at a level will leave except one. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he will never leave you. He's the only one that can never leave you. He's not the hired hand. I want to encourage you this morning to stop putting other humans in the place that only God belongs. Now, if you're nursing a heartache, if you're nursing a grudge, if you're nursing this hurt from somebody that's left your life too early, I stand with you. But there's only one person who will never leave you, and his name is Jesus Christ. So may your hurt become worship. And may your longing become fulfilled in a growing relationship with the Good Shepherd. That's the third character we need to look at. Who's the third character? It's the Good Shepherd. That we need to be in the care, under the care of this, of this beautiful pastor, the Good Shepherd. Why do I say that? Well, look at the, the Greek word here. Kalos is good. It also synonym is beautiful. So good can be beautiful. And the word for shepherd is called poimen. It's shepherd or pastor. So Jesus calls himself here, we translate it, the good shepherd, but we could also translate it, the beautiful pastor. Jesus is literally saying, I want to pastor you. I want to be good to you. I want to bring beauty to your life, but you're going to have to follow me. I want to provide for you the way that a shepherd does. I want to give you food and nourishment and strength the way your pastor should. I want your life to be good. And even in its its pain, it can still be beautiful. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am not the hired hand. I own you. I own you. I knew you before you were formed and I know you still and I own you. Or as Mark 6, 34 says, we are all sheep without a shepherd. We need to be owned by Christ. Obviously, you think about sheep and you think about that context from Psalm 23. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in grease and pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The declaration of Psalm 23 is we will walk in dark spaces, but we will not walk alone. We will not walk alone because the good shepherd longs to pastor us and even to, 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 to lay down his life in sacrifice. 
And all of John 10 here is pointing to the, the coming of the resurrection that Jesus says, I will, I will lay down my life and take it up again. We were studying this week with all the pastors and Richard asked this funny question. He said, well, you know, what good is a dead shepherd? It's rhetorical. A dead shepherd is no good to a flock. It cannot protect against the wolf. And so Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'll lay down my life and take it up again. And this is cruciform theology. The Christ's power is formed in not ascending onto a human throne, but laying down his life. That we worship a God. If you're a Christian this morning, it's what a staggering belief that our God died and then beat death. Like that's the way to Christian greatness. That's the way of Christ. The way of Christ is things die and then come alive in him. We don't preach that a lot. We don't preach it enough. Because we love greatness. We love a parking spot at the mall on, you know, December 22nd right up front. Oh, God is good, right? Like, God is so good. You know, it's like, uh, you know, a car accident. I swear, we say, God is good. But I tell you, friends, is he still good in the midst of the diagnosis or the marriage that's been stale for too long or, or for un unfulfilled desires around children or on relationship or in workplace, is he still good? God is always good, even in the midst of situations that don't feel good in the moment. In the commentary to this, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he says that God is good not because he causes all things to be good, but that in the midst of the storm, God comes closer to us than the storm could ever be. This good shepherd, he's the God of the storm. He's the God of the everyday. He's the God in all that we face. And he longs to kind of shape us in all that we're going through. He laid down our, his life for our behalf. That's what sustains us in a Christian faith. And so when we know that what makes us strong is not what we ascend to, but what we relent to, when we understand that by laying down my pride, I get more of Jesus in my life, we're more apt to say, I will. And when I lay down my desires for the present moment, say, Jesus, I, I, I long for fill in the blank, but in this moment, I'm going to worship you even in the midst of what you've not provided. That's the way to Christian greatness is in our vulnerability. As we know what we need, we're, we're more apt to hunger for Jesus because we know we need somebody to follow. Many of you know we have a, we've had a fishing lodge in Canada as a, as a business owner. I understand very much this notion of owner-operator because when you are the owner and the operator, you care for things on the deeper fashion because you're not just kind of the hired hands like in and out and making your money. You're thinking, man, we've got to do a great job and, and save these customers for the future and lead this staff well and, you know, kind of serving as an owner-operator. And we've got these animals on the property. There's 40 acres and we have these alpacas. Now, alpacas are not terribly smart animals, but they do know their hunger, and we have one guy on the staff, his name is Jim, he's quite a character, he lives on the property year-round, he's the keeper of the alpaca herd. And Jim literally feeds the animals, and when he walks to the barn, this is the property of Sons Lodge, and he's, he's, right now he's walking to the barn, the animals are going nuts. They're like following him, he's got apples in his hands, he often, often has apples in his pockets, because that's like a special treat for the animals. But when Jim shows up, the animals come running, because they know what they need, they know they're hungry. So he walks, and these animals are just, you know, and kind of, they're goofy little animals, but they always, always, always follow him if they're hungry. 
So the point is, in the Christian life, when we know our vulnerabilities and our weak spots and the things that we need more of, when, when we know those things and don't just try to cover them up, when we know what, what we're hungry for, we have an opportunity to be fulfilled in Christ. Because the good shepherd longs to care for us. So let's take a look at the second point of our outline. The good shepherd, that he leads us in this passage in three specific ways. We could pull out all sorts of things. I've just pulled out three. But the, as the good shepherd leads us in, in John 10, there's these three really specific byproducts from the text. The first way that we're, that we're led by following the shepherd is into intimacy. We're led into intimacy. Look at verse 14 and 15 of John 10. I am the good shepherd, says Christ. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. As you take a look closer at the text, you see that four times in this, in this, in this verse, in these two verses, four times this word knowing shows up. The shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him and the Father knows me and I know the Father. Four times, four times known. And then the clause, because knowing for Jesus leads to sacrifice. I lay down my life for the sheep. When we know someone, we're more apt to enter into their story, right? This happens all the time. Somebody's like, oh, I've started GoFundMe for XYZ. And you're like, I don't care. And I'm not giving you a penny. But when you know them, it's some kids from school and they're trying to make a f- movie or something. You're like, I can put some money on that Kickstarter. When, when you know somebody that's you know, you know, trying to, to gather support because they're going on a mission trip, and if you know the person and you want to be like partner with them as they're heading off into all parts of the world to, 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 to speak words of Jesus, like, that would be an honor. It would be an honor to give my money to send you to other places because knowing leads to sacrifice. When you know about babies being born at 20 weeks and 22 weeks and 24 weeks that are humans and you know how hard it is for some of the families even in this congregation to get pregnant you don't take that life for granted it's not just a political issue anymore you think oh that's a that's a human i must advocate for it or when we know people that are same-sex attracted, it's, it's no longer just a theological issue of like, well, I think this or that about homosexual people. We can say, I know their story. And when I know people, I'm more willing to sacrifice so we can enter into dialogue. Wait, you won't love Jesus and, and this is your sexuality and I want to know your story. And it's not just a political issue, but maybe we can, ta- we can talk, we can dialogue. Or maybe we'll talk about race, and, and I know my own experiences, my own story, but with somebody else, a different background, different upbringing, different prejudices, it leads to conversation. Knowing leads to sacrifice, because there's a story involved. Jesus says here, the intimacy comes as we know him and he knows us, but often we think, man, if they know me, they would never be okay with me. Like, if you, if you knew my stuff, you would never be okay with me. And so we're taught from our youngest age to guard ourselves like an artichoke with the pointy thorns grow up around the heart. We just, we cover up because we've been beaten down in this world. He says the secret to intimacy is you knowing me and me knowing you and not being scared of who knows you. I got, I got something to tell you. I told you guys a couple weeks ago that sometimes I get anxious. I'm an anxious eater. Instead of just praying more, I turn to like horrible foods and just try to stuff my face. So I was driving home the other week and I stop at the grocery store 
and I, and I pass the produce aisle, and I pass the healthy granola bar aisle, you know those ones that just taste like dirt, you know, and I pass all this, and I go to the food case, to what? Where there's corn dogs. <laughs> now, this has really happened. I'm not proud of it, and obviously, I got a lot worse stuff that I can tell you some other time, but let me tell you the corn dog story, because it just happened last week. Like, I show up at the, at the food case, and, and I was like, one corn dog. And the woman walks out, and she's like looking for the child that I might have with me. And I'm like, there's no kids. No, it's just me. And, and so she's, you know, kind of taking her time, and I'm like just feeling guilty. And I know, I'm like, this is not a good idea in any case. And I don't know if we have any corn dog eaters here, but it's right. It's not a good, you need something more fulfilling in the moment. And so the woman like hands it to me. And it's like she's trying to say, sir, you don't have to do this. Like she was trying to like make eye contact with me and like just don't, you know. And, and I ate it. And then I drove home, and I'm, like, wiping mustard and, like, crumb. I want to hide because, you know, if I have to go home, because guess what's at home? There was a whole dinner waiting for me, like, literally. All right? I haven't told my wife this, so if you see her, just apologize for me. And she's here, so. But, you know, there was literally a dinner waiting. And I stopped halfway and fed on something that wouldn't sustain me. And I didn't tell anyone because my fear was, if, I, if they know me, they'll be embarrassed about me, right? Why did you stop for corn dog? Like dinner was on the table and ready. So often we feast on the wrong things. And we're looking for more intimacy in our life and we feed on things that will not sustain us. And maybe Christ is challenging you this morning that if you want more intimacy in your life, it's found in one place, in the good shepherd of the scriptures. The second thing that kind of comes from this text, this byproduct of the shepherd leading us, is, is the shepherd leading us into a life of invitation, a life of radical invitation. Look at verse 16. We're just working our way through John 10. Verse 16, I have other sheep, says Jesus, that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, there's other sheep outside Judaism. It's a, it's a marker here for the future, not of aliens and space travel, but of the message getting outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is literally preaching this message, likely still at the Feast of Booths. John 8, John 9, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He heals the man. I preached on that a couple weeks ago. Literally, Jesus is, is teaching in Jerusalem to Orthodox Jews. And he says, you have no idea how much bigger this is going to get. Year is 33 AD, and Jesus says, you have no idea. And oftentimes, Jesus wants to surprise and challenge us with how radically inviting he's calling the faith to be. When we start to kind of build walls and keep people out, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I have other sheep that are not here yet, that they will be one flock. We are called to be people of radical invitation. You know, Bethany Community Church, for the last 10 years, there's a mission statement, a mission statement of this church. We don't do a lot with it at Bethany North, but it's on our you know, paperwork, and there's signs somewhere and such. You know what it is? Inviting people to community and to God and to wholeness. Inviting people. The first word of this church's mission statement is inviting people. We're called to be radically invitational. And to be constantly pushing the lines of who Jesus would be surprised and delighted is invited in. So those Easter postcards for the free drink and the sweet bread that expire at Easter, they're meant to be used as an invitation. 
if I see one of you over there using it, I'm going to, no, it's, you can use it too. But it's meant to be used as invitation to a neighbor or a friend or a coworker. And I get it, an Easter service is not going to be transformational in and of itself, but life with you might be. You might be surprised how much somebody in your life needs Jesus, and you might be the only person to speak Jesus to. We are meant to live a life of radical invitation because guess what? You were invited in. You're here today because somebody invited you. Maybe it was your mom or your dad growing up. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, a young life leader, or I don't know your story. But somebody invited you into the life of faith. You don't just kind of grow up a believer. Somebody invited you and invested in you. And you are meant to be paying it forward. You are meant to be receiving of Christ and pouring it out. I don't know what invitation looks like for you, but for me it was like a late 1980s Toyota MR2. Because in the late 80s, MR2 was a young life leader. And in the young life leader, an Indian man named Ranji Thomas was the love of Jesus Christ and an ability to have fun and laugh and be incarnational with who Jesus is. And it was invitational. I was an eighth grade disinterested religious kid when I got picked up in this Toyota MR2. We double buckled, me and my buddy John, because it's a two-seater. I mean, we did things crazy back there. We didn't even always wear helmets. We rode our bikes. It was amazing. We're still alive. But we're double buckled in the MR2, and we're driving around Lacey, Washington, going out to get movies or to watch a movie because you used to go to cinemas and watch movies, and we're listening to NXS, and my buddy has Ranji has the windows down. He's singing along. It's invitational. And at level, it's ridiculous. But I tell you that I started to see something that night that changed me. And he knows Jesus. And I'm hungry for what he has. I'm so tired of trying to get the next award or do things right. It's exhausting. He has something that I need. It would take four years for me to admit that myself. It began that evening. Who are you inviting into the life of faith? Some of you, it's maybe just your children and being really intentional for praying for them, using devotionals, listening to stuff in the car. Your life is meant to be invitational and shaping people that you're stewarding. Some of you, it's coworkers, roommates, friends, I don't know, fill in the blank. We're meant to be radically invitational. And lastly, we're meant as sheep governed by the good shepherd. We're meant to live a life of influence because Jesus has authority in this world Look at verse 17 and 18 of chapter 10 here. The reason my father loves me, says Jesus, is that I lay down my life. Again, it's this cruciform theology, power formed, laying it down, and ultimately resurrecting. Uh, the reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Jesus has authority to make influence do you still believe that the god of this universe jesus christ can change the world i worry sometimes that we we've stopped believing that jesus can change the world that jesus longs for each and every one of our neighbors and friends and co-workers that the parable in luke 15 of leaving 99 able-bodied sheep to go searching for the one jesus longs to save the whole world he longs to move in us and through us to shape us in order that we might have, might have influence. Influence that he would continue to be the God that's shaping us and meet people in their deepest need. 
Because the thing with sheep, as I researched them this morning, they'll eat all the grass in the same area and they won't move. And then they'll, they'll, they'll drop feces and they'll, if they're not careful, they can eat all the, the used up grass and then becomes dirt and feces and they can die. They actually need a shepherd. They need a leader to, to move them. We got to move, people. We got to move. We cannot get to where we're going without a shepherd in our life moving us to more wholeness and more joy and more intimacy. We got to move. But so often it can feel so discouraging, right? It's like, oh, all right, I hear you, Scott. I want to be, be more intimate. I want to be more invitational. I want to have more impact. And it's just, it's got to be about me. More quiet times, more discipline. It's like tightrope walking. And we can get out on the edge. And I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls. This, I mean, people actually do this. They get out over the falls, and they're, like, actually, like, doing this. And if they die, if they fall, they'll die. And so often the Christian faith, we get to, we feel like, oh, man, it's up on a rope. I'm up here alone. I'm trying to do everything right the right way. And it's, like, it's maddening, and it's ridiculous at a level because it's exhausting, if you're trying to walk somewhere by this perfect balance of just watching every little step and every little foot, we become guilty of trying to be our own gods. We're trying to get where we're trying to go, not by the power of Jesus Christ, but by our own strength and our own discipline. And it's not what Jesus is talking about in John 10. He says, take your eyes off of me and take your eyes and off yourself, rather, and put them on me. Stop being obsessed with your every step. And we've got to have our eyes up and looking towards the cross. Because it becomes this like pressure where we're trying to be our own gods. We're trying to be good enough and disciplined enough and strong enough. And it's like we're trying to get across the tightrope on our own. Jesus says, it's not what it looks like. No, the faith that I'm calling you to has your eyes up. Stop looking at yourself and yourself and yourself, and, and you, the totality of your spiritual li- life is not everything that you're doing. Jesus says, it's my life living in you. We've got to have our eyes up. And maybe God wants to encourage you this morning. If your place is feeling really discouraged and broken down, Jesus might want to be saying to you, hey, eyes up. Eyes up on the cross. You didn't earn the forgiveness I have for you, and yet I've given to you in full. You are my sheep. Now follow me. And continue to be moved and transformed as my people. And if you blow it, says Jesus, then get your eyes up again. Because I long to do a new work, moving us as his people into this intimacy and this invitational life that has a huge impact on everyone around us. He is the good shepherd intimately for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your people, your sheep. Lord, we know there's a lot of wounds in the room this morning and places of feeling like they have been, at times, led astray, or maybe not provided for well, and yet we know, Jesus, that you are the provider. You are the shepherd. And we know that what feeds us, Lord, will will make us follow. And so we pray that we would have our eyes up, Jesus, on your cross, where you lay down your life only to take it up again. We know that our vulnerability will give us the strength to follow you. And we know, Lord, that you hunger to draw us together as your people. So give us the ability to be real with one another and to bond together as your church. 
God, lead us. Our eyes are on you this morning. And all God's people said, amen. This is Communion Sunday. It's a perfect time to just stop and and be mindful that we are given new life in Christ, not by our own strength, but by his. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, in this case, gluten-free bread, and he said, this is my body, take and eat. And then he lifted the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, forgiveness poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. And so this table is open to all, eyes up on the body and the blood of Christ. Forgiveness for all, we just have to hunger for it. We have to know our vulnerabilities in order to follow. We have communion stations in the side and one down front, and I'll pray for our communion, and we're going to move clockwise through the theater. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the body. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you for the joy of your life living in us. Give us eyes for you, Lord. Eyes for the cross. In your great name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and rise? The communion table is now open.